I'd call up, you know, my buddy Elon and be like, hey, man, I need to be able to link my satellite your to your network. Can, can we work that out? Mm-hmm. And you're looking at $700 million just for that. Yeah. But with I, a billion, you could do that. With, I, with a billion, I could do that. And yeah. then I'd have my own satellite. And uh, that'd as be cool. As long as it had, like, death rays on it, laser rays. No, I don't, I don't want death rays, laser but, rays. You could target anything. Don't want to text your right, homestead. Right, that's why also countries would then remove the satellite. They don't know about the death rays. Well, I'm pretty sure they would know about it. How? Uh, there's probably some certification you have to... Well, no. Actually, you have to get approval to launch anything. Okay. So your death rays would be known about. So yeah, they would be known about and they would say no. Okay. So that's, that's no un- death that's, rays. That's not cool. You're, okay. the, you're the evil supervillain here, Jeff, not no, me. I am a supervillain? Wow. Apparently, I you're the one that wants to put death rays in space. No, I was just thinking about how to defend your homestead. You've got this satellite that's pointed to your I'm homestead. I'm in the middle of that. nowhere. I don't need to defend it. And when someone comes to attack you, you'll have no one else to defend you. It's just like Russia, man. There's so much land that people will freeze to death trying to get there. Uh, yeah, but you I mean, about Napoleon cars. learned that lesson, and so did Hitler. You know, you don't... Okay, all right. So you think you don't need a fence. People come after rich... I folks. have a fence, but, you know, there, there's, a, there's a huge gap between needing a fence and needing death rays. Right, okay. okay? I just fence think good, death rays are unnecessary. Death rays would be super useful, though. Would you have a minefield? See, this is exactly what I'm talking about, man. Super villain. You gotta think outside the box. Okay, Jeff. How you doing tonight? Tonight, I'm feeling a bit dayish. Sorry, that's code for it's not actually night. Oops. Um, so just, it's 4 p.m. right now. I just made a bunch of noise. Can we start over? So here's the question for you. Okay. Is 4 p.m. day? Or but better yet, let's let's do it this way. Is it afternoon or evening? 4 p.m. for me is definitely afternoon. I mean, by design, it is definitely by, after by definition noon, afternoon. But, but but by the colloquial definition of of afternoon. Uh, midday and afternoon have a lot of overlap. Midday for me is like from 11 to 2.30-ish. Anything past 2.33 is afternoon up until about 5.30 or 6. And that's when it starts being evening. In the winter, it can be a little bit earlier. And the summer, it's a little bit later because for me, evening is somewhat defined by the sun. Yeah, because here, 4 p.m. in the winter, it's already starting to get dark. Wow. So then at 4 p.m. in the winter, which it's not winter. It's no, it's not. summer. In the winter... Maybe afternoon would be inappropriate for this moment in time, but it's not winter. Therefore, well, afternoon, no, afternoon is would still be correct because 10 p.m. is afternoon. By the colloquial definition that we're discussing right now. Okay, well, you're a Texan, will, so who knows what that means? Uh, there's no way for me to win this discussion, so I'm just going to disengage from it. Hi, how are you? Okay, so we are actually not going to do this episode talking about time and weather and seasons. But we might begin it that way. Since it's we are we, well, we have begun it that way. We have begun it that way. So guess what? You get to you get to hear some more about time and weather, and then we'll, eventually a, we'll get to some questions. This is an AMA episode. It is. This is gonna be really exciting for you guys and scary for us. Also, kind of fun for us. I don't. I don't know if it's gonna be that exciting for them. Well, it might be. I don't know. But they've they've asked the questions. We've gotten questions in over the past month or so. Cool. Um. So yeah, we're just gonna go through and. One at no, a time. I'm, I'm going into this blind. I have absolutely no idea what the questions are. JT has been somewhat curating them. Actually, no, since it's anything, you haven't curated any questions, right? Every question submitted, we're going to answer? If we can get to it, yeah. Okay. 
if it stretches past an hour, then we'll evaluate if we actually want to keep going. Okay, that sounds good. Okay. So to start off with, the most obvious question was one that came up. Uh, how did you two meet? Well, I thought we talked about that in an early episode. We talked about uh, we initially met without really knowing each other. We were rubbing shoulders in the same IRC channels, mostly Slackware, some other ones. I don't think you were ever, ever in the Linode channel, but there were some other ones we were both the members of. But that's when I first came to know of you. And then I, when I got started with Self, I believe you were in Self IRC channels 2014, 2015. You said 2014 was your first year. Yeah, I think 14 was my first year. So somewhere around there is when I actually started like noticing you specifically as a person. Like We had a lot of similar interests, and you were talking about your Corrado escapades, and I thought that was kind of cool. And then we actually met at directly at the Southeast Linux Fest conference, and we just kind of hit it off immediately, it seemed like. Still took a little while to really get to know each other well. Yeah. But uh, it, it was uh, our chance meetings at Southeast Linux Fest went well, we'll say. Mm-hmm. So early dating was successful. Yeah, that uh, that sounds about the same way that I met Jeff. So uh, that's my answer, too. Cool. Um, so next question, another one we kind of have answered, and that is, are you guys gamers? Yes. Emphatically, definitively, yes. But if you're going to be the whole PC Master Race versus console thing, I do both. I grew up playing PC Master Race games. I cut my teeth on the Dooms and the, and the Wolfensteins and the Quakes. A lot of id software earlier in the day. Uh, Unreal Tournament, that kind of stuff. Uh, Counter-Strike, I played a heck of a lot of Counter-Strike. Um, somewhere in here I've mentioned I started playing Counter-Strike back before it was actually released. It was beta days. I've been playing Counter-Strike for a long time. Uh, as more people got PC gaming computers and it got more popular, uh, I don't have very good hand-eye coordination and my reaction time is poor, so I started losing a lot of people online. So my enthusiasm for multiplayer gaming online declined considerably. So that's when I started playing more console or single-player games. Um, these days, I, I rarely play multiplayer games because I'm just looking for something enjoyable. But yes, I am a gamer. Yeah, I've never been a fan of online games uh, that you have to be tethered to the internet for. And I don't like really playing with other people because, I don't know. A lot JT of the time, doesn't play well with others. I, well, especially with online games because you get people that just, like, they they find joy in destroying the enjoyment of other people. They're not playing the same game we are. Right. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So the Matani over in EVE Online, he's famous for, quote, uh, our game is to ruin your game. That's a gross characterization of it. He was much yeah. more eloquent with it. But that, it's always stuck with me. Like, yeah, when someone else is playing a different game than you, you can't win because the rules of their game are set such that you will never win. That's part of the fun for them. Yeah, so. but that's not fun for me, so I'm not going to take part in that. Or me. And I'm not good enough to, like, beat them anyway. So, But I actually did do some game administration, which I get to watch people and, and ban them when I could detect that they were hacking and stuff. So that was kind of fun. I was like, aha. Anyway, that was a long time ago. Um, so another question we got was, what do you guys do in your free time? Um, game, read, play electric bass. I pretend to play electric guitar. I have an acoustic guitar I pull out every so often. Um, these days, a lot of my spare time has been going through the backlog of projects I have, a lot of electronic stuff, and mindlessly tuning out and playing very large open world games where you can wander around and do anything. Like uh, Assassin's Creed, Odyssey I was playing recently. Right now, I'm wandering through. I started Witcher, and then I was switched over to um, Middle Earth: Shadow of Mordor. I just like those wander around and find combat things. It's very relaxing to me. Not to think hard. So, 
my response to this question would be, what is this thing you define as free time? Right. He doesn't have much. Yeah, I, I have very little free time. He is Atlas keeping his house up, his job up, and numerous side projects up. Yeah, I mean, you know, besides the job, there's the four podcasts that I do. Um, note to self, I need to write BSD Now show notes for this week. Um, then, uh, yeah, so there's all the work on the house, keeping it from falling over, which is fun. Or some um, definition of fun. And then there's also then having to do, you know, work on cars, generic stuff. Uh, yeah, so once you take all that out, then there's not really much time left. So, yeah. I need there to be more than 24 hours in a day. You can just sleep less. I don't sleep much as it is, so... Well, you can just sleep less. I'm pretty sure you need a minimum of, like, four hours. You could do polyphasic sleep. You can get by with two and a half or three. Yeah. I've done that before. Not for long periods of time. Uh, I don't know. I didn't do it for long. I did it for a couple months. I was reasonably successful with it. That's another topic. Yeah. We, yeah. Anyway, free time. He doesn't have much. What little he does. Uh, he does game some. He's told me about... He likes to play Skyrim or Skyrim or however you say that. Fallout with swords. Fallout with swords. He also and then the other Fallout. game, Fallout, is Skyrim with guns. <laughs> Basically, I just refer to the, each game as the other game. Well, they're all both built on the same engine. So he likes those games. He likes to read. Uh, he's keeping up with, he's constantly kind of feeding me cool videos of stuff. So he's like, he's just interested in the world at large. So he's just fascinated by everything, kind of the way I am. Yeah, maybe, pretty much. Maybe not in the same way, but we're both fascinated in lots of things. So that then leads into another question, which is Are we ever going to get the lowdown on this house? Uh, yes. Not today. Um, and I've, I've thought I've put it in show notes before. Maybe not. I have a playlist of videos that I put online where you know, I show the house. A horror show. It's I, actually, I couldn't stop laughing. Quite a horror show. It's a comedy show. Comedy. Yeah, I could not stop laughing when I was watching it. I was like, who does things this way? Yeah. He inherited this when he bought the house. He didn't do anything like this. Although he has his own special way of doing fixes sometimes, but it's nothing like well, what the house was like. So anything that I've done isn't really a fix. It's a temporary band-aid. A, a temporary because I have to live here. Right. I have to do certain things. Uh, but the, the fix is to redo everything. Mm -hmm. Literally. And that's not an exaggeration. No, no, no. I thought he was exaggerating the first time I came over here and he showed me everything. I'm like, that was not an exaggeration. Yeah, like everything. Like the foundation, the floor joists. The walls, the windows, the doors, the plumbing, the electrical, the, furnace, the roof, the furnace, the chimney, the chimney, the other furnace, or the other roof, uh, the, the other kitchen, roof, the other chimney, all the interior. Well, okay. that would be in the walls. Okay. But I think you're going to, the one thing that's done is this lovely stone facade for your uh, fireplace over here. Yeah. So the hearth in the uh, living room is an entire wall. It is very nice. However, it is also cracking. Wow. And it needs to be taken down to properly fix other things. Oh, so that's going to be a big loss. It's going to have to be disassembled, but then I could reassemble it. So yeah, it's just going to be a pain in the butt. I was hoping it would survive, but uh, that's unfortunate. But so pretty much everything. And the house also has a lot of his stuff. It's, I call it a museum because he's got a lot of cool stuff here. Uh, it's, it's like the storage section of a museum because everything is in boxes right now, mostly. Some of it, yeah. The overwhelming majority is in boxes. But he's just got nostalgia stuff everywhere. He's got an eye for... That's a thing you do in your free time. You've got an eye for collecting retro and, and old stuff. And you're kind of always always looking for something cool to pick up. You're, you're negotiating with people. You're trying to 
find some stuff. Yeah, I would put that's that a free time thing. The next question, which is what hobbies do you have? Okay, then I'll stop mentioning it, and we can wait for the next question. Well, we're there, so how about how about you answer? Oh, well, I kind of did already. Hobbies. Um, I like to make things with my hands, and I've been getting into metalworking lately. Um, I was doing more woodworking until I discovered that I actually have an allergy to pine tar, sap, or or dust or something. And I thought that was dumb, but every time I would handle a pine board, like what you'd use dimensional lumber to build something, my cuticles would start cracking and my finger, the skin of my fingers would start to play back. And I was like, this is not an accident. So I decided since a lot of projects you build with wood use dimensional lumber, that's SPF, it would probably be better for me to go seek a different structural pursuit. And that's when I started looking at metal. I just like the idea of metal working. I've been trying to teach myself some of those skills. Um, I got the music stuff. I play weekly in a church band. Um, so I've got a pursuit for my electric bass. Trying to do some songwriting, song capture, but I've got so many other things going on in life that I don't really spend much time in it. It's not a thing you can do casually, I think. Or you can only do it casually after you've done it seriously and you got all the little things down. I haven't gotten that far yet. Um, I tinker with electronic stuff. I'm doing some guitar amp repair on the side. Um, I intend to do, to do some guitar amp building and design soon. Uh, unfortunately, everything is a hobby. I don't think I've met a hobby I didn't like. So it's a challenge of keeping them down to a manageable amount. So for me, I think I've said this in a prior episode that I feel weird saying photography is a hobby because I do it as a job. It's as a well. profession. But, well, yes, but the, when I say hobby, I'm talking about for me. Okay. Not being paid for other people. Okay. Um, like, for instance, uh, someone who works as a car mechanic who works on other people's cars all day, when he goes home and works on his car, it's entirely different than when he's working on someone else's car. Mm-hmm. So I would say the same thing applies for photography. When I'm paid to do a shoot, that's work. But when I'm doing out doing photos for me, well, that's not work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say photography is falls under that because I like doing... Um, landscapes, which I'm actually really bad at, <laughs> but I like it. I, I like the process. Sure. The the end result that I get is garbage, but the process I enjoy. So and maybe over time the the end result moved from garbage to merely bad, and then even evolved to mediocre. So you aspire that, to mediocrity. That's what I hoped. Um, and I on there's a bunch of landscape photographers that I follow on YouTube and social media. And they always, you know, do videos where they're giving tips and suggestions and trying to educate people. And I've been watching them for years and my landscape photography has not gotten any better. So I feel that way about my music creation. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe one day I'll, but I'll there's crossover skills. You, you do it also as a profession. My music creation has uh, contributed to my being able to like master stuff and, and uh, do some of the audio for this podcast or some audio from some other people. So it's not like the skills have gone to waste. They're just not being applied towards that hobby, perhaps. So yeah. you, you practice your landscapes. I imagine you're not doing landscapes as part of your professional shoots. No, you, no one's going to pay me for a landscape. You feel uncomfortable with that. No one would pay you. But uh, the skills that you're practicing... They still, really aren't transferable, though. Oh, well, there we go. A landscape photo is not going to help you in a studio. Well, you just turn it sideways. No. And now it's a portrait no, photo. No. Uh, that may you know work that on works? the computer. But it's not how it works in real That's life. That's how it's supposed to work. I was told that. Anyway. Yeah. Also, you're not going to really shoot a portrait at 20 millimeters. No? No. You can do environmental portraits at 35. You start to go wider than that, and you're starting to get a lot of distortion. Uh, okay. So, uh, anyway, other hobbies. I absolutely love hiking. 
Um, and for clarification, in case there's someone out there who prefers being very, very specific, I also greatly enjoy backpacking. Um, those are not the same thing. No, they're not. Wondering. No, they're not. It's um, funny when you go backpacking and then you take a hiking trip while backpacking. I did that yeah, often. I've done I've done that before. In, in the day, back in the day. Yeah, where we have a central camp and then we do day hikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've done the northern half of the AT. I want to finish the southern half. What I actually probably would do is just, if I'm able to ever get the time, is redo the whole thing. Um, and then in one bucket, go? Bucket list would be also doing the PCT and the CDT. So that's the Pacific Crest Trail and the Continental Divide Trail. Wow. Um, I would love to get the Triple Crown, but that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And how long were you on the trail for the the top half of AT? Uh, two and a half months. Wow. Two months. That's cool. There. Yeah, I love the trip. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that that backpack that you see behind you, Jeff. Oh, that's the one I used. Cool. Uh, I like, would use a new backpack now. It's, it's earned its scars. Yeah. So th- since none of you can see it, it's actually a backpack I got from my dad. That's from the seventies. So it has a a metal frame skeleton. And then there's basically two main pouches. It's, it's really old. It's really janky. It served me well because I was young at the time, so I didn't care. Um, but pack technology has definitely advanced quite a bit. It has, so yes. I would go with a new one if I was going to do it again. Probably so. Um, let's see what other hobbies. Uh, working on my cars, which I haven't done for a while because I've been working on the house. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Understatement. So a lot of things. Uh, let's see. What's the next question? see what are we gonna go with um okay what projects are you involved in now i don't know if this is asking about like open source or just any type of project so take this question how you want jeff i um so i would guess that the sense there because it's been asked to the channel also is that what's open source projects it's been asked a bunch um i spend most of my open source efforts on the education side less so on those specific projects but i have put in uh, documentation and bugs for SaltStack, for Ansible. Um, in the past, I did LCD proc. I don't know if that's still around. I haven't used it in a long time. Um, I was getting involved in the wine project a while back. That was a big investment to get started. Like I've, I've long maintained you have to get used to a code base before you can really make good patches against it. And so I was like trying to come to speed with the wine code base, and I was a little intimidated by it. But um, it's been a bit busy for the last couple of years, and I'm expecting in the next six months to a year to actually get more time back and i do intend to dive back into open source coding i'll probably actually start making actual patches and and covering some some stuff for ansible since i use it in my day job a lot and probably also with salt stack they've got some things that they're doing that i would be beneficial that i would like to get involved in um both of those being python it's very easy for me to get into i also would like to just jump on and and try and knock out some of the weird bugs and uh Kernel or wine or somewhere. I like I like researching weird stuff, and that's right up my alley. So, let's see. For me, so uh, if we're taking projects, um, that would be I'm involved with the TrueNest project because of work. Um, project Trident. I'm one of the developers of that. Uh, more at this point, what we're doing is just more maintainership than anything. Um, Lumina Desktop. I would love to get back into puppy again. Um, I've been meaning to want to do a Lumina-based puppy for a while and see if it would be possible to pull out all of the GTK-based stuff and replace it with QT. Uh, but I haven't 
gotten around to doing that yet. Um, a couple months ago, I picked up maintainership of Fedora Jam. Um, Eric Eichmeyer, who is somebody that I've known for a while, he had to step back from that. So, so yeah, that, that was just another thing that I decided to pick up because I have so much free time in my life. And on top of that, uh, I've also recently ended up joining the uh, Fedora program management team. So, because again, so much free time that I just jump onto more things that require more time. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm smart like that. Well, you you're dedicated. We'll say that. Yeah, I don't know if dedicated is the right way to say it. Well, that's what I'll say. Uh, I mean, yes, dedicated is true, but also, you know, potentially insane because <laughs> I already don't have enough time. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't, you know, get involved in more stuff. Because I don't have the time for all the things I'm doing now. Maybe, but uh, that's up for you to decide. So. Yeah. Uh, let's see what's our next question going to be. If I were to take that question and do like home projects, we don't have enough time in an hour and some change to have that discussion. So I'm going to pretend like it was just open source projects. Yeah, that's. And what if I... that wasn't it, then bury me in channel when I'm around, and you'll get an earful. Just, I'm just warning you; it's, an, it's so, seriously an earful. Um, next question is what distros do you guys use now? Um, I don't have any more Slackware boxes, unfortunately. I got rid of my last one a couple years ago. Shame. No, it's not shameful. Shame. I don't have as much time. Shame. Hey, enough of that. You don't have a bell anyway. And I'm not going to strip nude and walk down the street either. So just, just good. I don't want to see that. Well, you're the one clamoring out shame. So I don't know what to think. Anyway. So I consider Slackware my home distro, and when I have a project to play around with, I will go back to Slackware again. I actually have a couple ideas for projects. His home distro that he doesn't use, unlike a home where you return but, to it and stay there all the time. Well, you can be an expat in another nation and still consider like Maryland your home. That's what it is right now. I have a home, city, state, whatever. I'm just not living there right now. That's what it's like. At work, we have a whole shed load of Ubuntu systems. I have a couple systems that are on Ubuntu. I have one. That's not Fedora, it's something else. So you're an expat slacker? I guess. Okay. That's actually kind of a neat... That could be a bumper sticker or something. Because there's probably quite a lot of expat slackers. Well, the complication with that is is Pat Volkerding, with his name being Pat. Oh, that is! That that could be weird. Like, I didn't realize that until after I said it. I'm like, oh, wait, hold on a second. We need to investigate that. I don't think I like the implication of that, so it had to be a reverse joke or something. Anyway, um... A lot of the stuff I do, uh, my day job is Ubuntu. There's some random smattering of Red Hat or CentOS around. Uh, there's some appliances that are weird. Um, I had moved my personal stuff over to uh, Ubuntu a while back because I was already doing it in my day job. So it's like, okay, this is easy to maintain. I don't have time to maintain it very well. I've got uh, a Red Hat file system running ZFS. It was originally Eon. I think we talked about it in the previous episode. Uh, I have a FreeBSD server that I haven't turned on in years. It probably would still work. I was doing game hosting and stuff on it. So I, I more or less I pick whatever distribution I think is most appropriate for the job. And it depends on the setting. Like at work, I, I would love to pick something other than Ubuntu, but it's what people know. So up at work, for me, it's more about what's maintainable and what reduce, or what increases the bus factor. So Ubuntu tends to increase the bus factor. If I were to go build systems on, on Slackware, I would feel very confident in them, but there would be nobody else that would be able to maintain them. So that's, uh, unfortunately, why I have to choose Ubuntu. So for myself, uh, Project Trident, definitely. 
I still have one or two puppy installs lying lingering around. Um, I have a couple Fedora installs. One is server, one is jam, and then one is, I think, KDE. It's the KDE spin. Uh, I used to have a few Arch boxes. They've all been changed. Uh, let's see what else. I have an OpenSUSE machine that I haven't booted in years. Uh, a couple FreeBSD instances that also haven't booted, been booted in a while. Um, I actually think that's about it. I forgot one more. I have a switch built on OpenBSD. Okay. My uh, my X230 and X220 are both running Slackware, but they haven't been booted in a while. Um, yeah, I think that's it for me. Well, I mean, I have the wall. Right. But... I don't really want to count that because that's different. Yeah. Well, I guess technically I can say I have I have a Red Hat 1.1 install that I use regularly. That's that's because I've been using it like once a week for the past couple months. That's true. So that's pretty regular. Yeah. So that's one. Yeah. That's um, a pretty unique one, I would have to say. Yeah. And if you it watch definitely the, is. If you watched our video a couple weeks ago uh, from Self, then you'll get to see us kind of dive into the energy of that. So if that's fascinating to you, like very very old distros, go watch that video. I also have a follow-up uh, podcast, kind of a denouement of the event. I think if you, if you like old distros, you'll probably enjoy at least some portion of that video. You may have to fast-forward to the boring parts. Okay, so the next question is Intel or AMD slash NVIDIA or AMD? AMD, AMD for me. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, it's interesting... They didn't say, are you running, or do you prefer? They just asked the company names. Mm. So, I don't know. Are they asking us what, what company we held stock in? Like, what, what or, okay, okay. I mean, I, I, without context. Without context. What I would prefer is AMD, AMD. Right now, I'm running Intel AMD because I can't justify replacing my desktop at home. Uh, it's nine years old. I'm not kidding about that. I've upgraded a couple pieces along the way. Most recently, three years ago, I did an AMD RX 480. Maybe it was four years ago. Um, I don't really have a dog in a hunt between I NVIDIA and AMD, but I just generally prefer AMD as a company more, so that's why I would prefer their, heart, their video cards. But definitely, AMD on the chip side has a vast superiority, in my opinion, to Intel and modern processor days. Yeah, so my answer for this is complicated. Of course it is. Of course it is. But nothing is ever simple. So, on the AMD Intel side, so for we're talking CPUs, obviously. I, the I mean, I have AMD systems in here, but they're very old, uh, Athlon systems. Wow, that is old. Yeah, I have a whole bunch of Athlon. You got the too. one upstairs that's running Red Hat one dot one. Well, that yeah, that's that's an AMD forty six. I'm thinking modern. Okay, um, like AMD designs, not AMD clones. Correct. So, I if I had to choose which I would prefer. Or which I like more, or which I use, I use Intel more. I want AMD to be better, and then I want to use the better AMD, which for a while has just been a want because AMD mm -hmm. has been so far behind the ball. AMD for, has finally up until stepped about three up. years ago. Yeah, it's so far. AMD behind. has I finally just... stepped up yeah. and has brought their A game. So like now we're getting to the point where AMD can compete with Intel and beat Intel. Mm -hmm. I am not, and there's a question later about what our next system will be. I'm not at this point where I can build another system. Uh, so I'll answer that question later. 
Um, so on the NVIDIA and AMD side, again, I, and actually, I, I should actually inject Intel into this since they're now getting into the GPU game. Oh, Lord. They're supposed to be coming out within a month or two. Yeah, I read. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, I think Kadori is, is doing good things there. We'll, we'll let from what the, I've heard, but we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see, see, exactly. I, I will try to reserve judgment. And my thing is more competition in a space is good. That's so. true, yeah. I, I want more competition. I just don't think Intel competes fairly, so I don't want them in spaces. Well, I know, but if they compete unfairly and then they cause AMD and NVIDIA to have to compete better, then I still win. Yeah, that's true. I just don't like Intel as a company. Uh, so I use NVIDIA because it's the highest performance. I want AMD to be better so that I can not use NVIDIA. You still could. And leave performance on the table. So what you're saying then is performance is more important to you than loyalty to a brand. Yes. Okay. Brand loyalty for me, it has to be earned. That's fair. Uh, and, I do that you know, some. I don't do it universally. I'm weird. Like You think it'd be principled that I would, I would choose one or the other. You know, but I don't. It's like situational. I, I always want whatever I'm using to be like the best product in that niche, mm-hmm. but it also has to be, I, I think of the price too. So it has to be the best product price ratio point and historically AMD is better on the product quality price point. So even that, like I remember three or four years ago when I upgraded my video card, the NVIDIA cards were all like three or $400 for the good ones. And the RX 40 was like 180 or something stupidly absurd. And it was a, it was one of the near top ones that they were producing at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was not quite competitive, but it was close. I was like, for $180, I can get this thing. This is plenty enough for what I'm trying to do. I don't have a 4K monitor. I'm not doing 4K gaming. I'm not doing anything fancy. And for 1080p, it'll be fine. It'll be great. And that's that was that it won for the performance per dollar mm-hmm. amount. I think it's also important to note that when I'm talking about GPU performance, I'm not just talking about playing games. I'm oh, talking that's true. about OpenCL, compute capabilities, you do do and, that, and yeah. I also I I want to get into tinkering with you know AI and machine learning, mm-hmm. and when you, when you're going into those areas, Nvidia just wipes the yeah the floor with everybody. I, else. I, if I ever step into that domain, uh, I would have to start investing in Nvidia. Yeah, and AMD, I, I don't, no, there's no comparison. I don't want to keep giving Nvidia my money. Yeah, but that again, that's kind of like that's my option if I actually want to be serious about it. Mm-hmm. Is that inside? Yeah. Like on your stuff? Yeah. Yeah, that is inside. That's indoors. We have a squirrel in here. Can you not mess with things, please? Go away, squirrel. We may need to pause and take care of it. It sounded like it was inside the room. You can see him? Yeah, I guess you're used to it. I'm not. I don't live here all the time. Right. Thank God. Anyway, space for cut. Uh, so leaving, leading into the next question, which was what's the next system that you will build? So, Jeff, um, what is the next system you will build? I'm undecided on that. I have long thought that new styles of storage, 3D exploits specifically, would be coming and birthing new paradigms for computing because it's so fast storage, you can almost treat it like it's volatile RAM, but it's non-volatile. And I thought, surely that's going to come somewhere and arrive, and we're going to have to start adjusting how we do... All of our programs right now are written with the understanding that Hard drive is extremely slow, comparatively. RAM is slowish. Cache is fast. So move it from slowest to medium to fastest, and there's going to be wait periods in there. But if your storage is not extremely slow, comparatively, and I know that 
NVMe and all these things super fast. That's the high bandwidth, pretty good latency, but it's nothing like what uh, 3DX Point can do. And I thought this is going to arrive and it's going to change everything. So I wanted to wait until it did, but it hasn't changed everything. I've been kind of surprised by that. So far, it seems like it's been a niche product at best, like gamers that want the ultimate speed when they load their games or something. So I still am kind of hesitating on the desktop build. As long as my old system continues to run, I'll probably keep flogging it until it dies. So it's more likely that my next build is going to be a replacement laptop. And it's going to be something like a Think Penguin or a, what's the other one? A couple other open source. System 76? System 76 is the other one I'm thinking of. There's a couple more out there that I would compare, but someone that I know probably. It's probably going to be a Think Penguin because, you know, we know Chris. So um, one of those running Fedora or something like that. I don't want to do rolling release, but at the same time, I need to get with the times. Uh, so it's just fine to keep your updates all the, all the time and don't worry about it much. Besides, I haven't done Fedora in a long time. So it's, it'd be... Not Fedora quick. isn't rolling, but yeah, it they moves. have a new version about every six months. Every six months, so. yeah. Yeah, so it'd be like if you're following Ubuntu non-LTS. Same thing, you know? Yeah. Short, short, self, short cycles, uh, but it's understood that you're always going to have something reasonably fresh. So I think I would like that. And that would be my platform for development and getting involved in projects. So that's probably what's going to end up being is some kind of laptop with fast storage, a goodly amount of RAM, because I tend to run virtual machines for a lot of stuff. Um, not as much huge storage, because I always get external. I've got network drive. So it's going to be a laptop of some kind. So for me, uh, it's going to be something I'm going to have to save up for. Uh, it will be a Threadripper system so that I can get a crap ton of PCIe lanes so that I can build a compute box for doing OpenCL builds, OpenCL work, CUDA work, and then AI stuff. Um, so it'll be a Threadripper because there's nothing on the Intel side that gets you that many lanes that pretty much narrows the field down. Pretty much. Um, and it'll probably be NVIDIA cards because, again, and OpenCL performance on them is better. Unless AMD somehow does something, which they might. I don't know. We'll They've got wait some good design teams in there that have been building the processors. Maybe they can put some of that brain power towards building the next advantage, next generation of CPUs or GPUs that would jump ahead or at least catch up. Yeah, it seems like they're not focusing on the compute side, though. Yeah, they're not. Um, I mean, I will say that the new uh, W6800 professional card that they just put out or they just announced Looks really, really good. I haven't looked at it. I'll have to check it out. But it's also like $2,500. Is like estimated So, yeah, it's a little out of the budget. Yeah. I'm, I'm not buying four of those to drop in a system. Boundary costs have also been skyrocketing since uh, COVID landed. So the chip shortage has made what little manufacturing capability there is much more valuable. And you got all the consumer products in the world that all need their chips and whatever, their small power PCs. Like, there's probably many tens of power PCs in modern computers. They're just everywhere. A lot of the little microcontrollers are built on power PCs, and those all need some kind of chip manufacturing, which means everybody else that was doing chip manufacturing gets elbowed out a little bit, or they have to pay higher price. It's competition for the limited amount of space. So all of our processors, all, our, all of our GPUs for the next couple of years until we kind of absorb this bump are going to be more expensive, unfortunately. That's another thing that's driving my desire to go towards something embedded or, or something laptop-y. Uh, so, following up with the, I guess, the things you, you're going to buy question is another one, which is, 
What is your next big purchase? Probably an electric guitar. Any specific type? Oh, yes. I've had it in mind for a long time. Um, it is a Ernie Ball Music Man JP-15. I have drilled over this guitar, this line of guitar for a long time. I first learned about it back in like 07 or 08. And uh, it is designed by Ernie Ball Music Man's special, like their Skunk Works team, in collaboration with John Petrucci, who's the guitarist for Dream Theater. And he's a madman virtuoso that I've admired for a long time. And he has crafted a guitar that he used, he needs, he does so many things in his in the shows. So he needs a guitar that's extremely versatile and do so many things. And I have long desired one of his guitars. So it's probably going to be the next thing I buy. Okay. So for me, I think it is going to be a new telephoto lens for my camera. I've been saving up for a while. That's cool. Yep. Yeah, I had to, I had a, a nice telephoto a couple years ago, but I had to sell it. And I've kind of been missing mm-hmm. having one. And for some of the photo trips that I like to do, I, I need a long lens. And, mm-hmm. you know. There's nothing quite like good glass. Yeah, and you know, when you're trying to do wildlife, Mm-hmm. It it really helps to have a long lens. It's pretty much don't try if you don't. Right. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, flipping the script on money. Uh, if you could fund any project, what would it be? I'm assuming this is an open source question, like software project or yeah. hardware project. Well, since he didn't specify or she, uh, I'm actually going to take it a slightly different direction. I would fund an educational project. That's where my heart is. Uh, there's okay. lots. There, there's a follow-up question, which is definitely more open-ended. Okay. So let's keep this one on the open-source software hardware side. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, it's still gonna be educational related. Um, like Wikipedia is well-funded. I'm not gonna give them money, but I like to find educational organizations that if they just had a little bit of extra money, they could do so much more with it. And that's what I would choose to put time and money into. Okay. Let's let's approach this question from the aspect of something that you want to see happen. Like oh, okay. you're starting a project. Because I think that's kind of an interesting way to approach it. Is okay. if you could fund something, a project that doesn't exist, that would accomplish something or provide some benefit or fill, option. Fill a niche or, or something. I've, I've fill long a niche or whatever. Okay. That's an interesting question. I could have had a better answer for you a couple of years ago. But it seems like a lot of the things that I was hoping would happen, someone has started to fill in. Um, a lot of the things that I, I would like to do now are long-standing issues that require a significant investment in someone's time that I would fund to fix holes in projects that they use all the time, like uh, long-standing Ansible problems. Actually, I'd probably have some kind of campaign to get whoever's in charge of Ansible to stop making poor decisions, if that's a thing. Okay. Because it seems like they continually make decisions like, why would you do it that way? I know Ansible is not a programming language. I get that. But people are writing stuff in Ansible, and the tendency of projects is to make things more flexible, not less, for your users. What are you doing? That kind of thing. So it's probably either that, or I'd contribute to Salt Stack is rewriting their Salt Cloud tool and something else. So I might uh, pitch money towards filling in some gap there. Because I actually use Salt Cloud at work, um, and it's going away. So I'd like for the, the thing that's replacing it to be done quickly so I can move on to that. Okay. So for me, there's two things that have kind of been nagging at me for a while. One should be possible, but complex. The other, I don't even know if it's possible. Uh, so the first one would be an easy, 
well-informative application as a front-end to SE Linux. Ooh, I like that. Like, something that you could run, it would then, you know, populate a tray icon or whatever. And you could right-click on it, and then you would have different options, and you could go uh, hardware. Mm-hmm. And then it would pop out, it would show all your d- hardware devices, mm-hmm. and when you moused over, it would show all the software that is talking to those devices. Mm-hmm. So that you can then kill that the software and say, no, you can't access this hardware. Yeah, there's something like that on Mac called Little Snitch that I love. Um, so you could do that. Or like for your network, you, you hover over the network and it's every application that's looking at the network. Mm-hmm. And you could go, this one, no, go away. Mm-hmm. Stop. You're not allowed to have access anymore. Um, anything that's accessing the drive. So, so to give you those controls in an easy way, because SE Linux allows you to do that by writing the rules and doing all stuff, but there's no real like, let me see right now what's actually going on and what's mm-hmm. being used by what. Like there are different utilities. Like you can use NetHogs, for example, which is a CLI tool that'll show you what binaries are accessing the internet and what the bandwidth is. Mm-hmm. But it's like, we should be able to do that for every all the devices, all the software, and there should be an easy way to get to it. Because as Linux has gotten so complex, mm-hmm. there's so much going on that if you really want to know, okay, what's running on my system, there's no easy way to dig in very quickly to see what software is accessing my speakers. Yeah. What, what, a- what software is accessing this? This has raised uh, another... So after you're done, I've got one more two things. To Go for use. it. You can jump in. So a tool I've used for a long time is called ATOP that does something like this. And I don't know why other tools don't do what it does. It does two things. One, it turns on process accounting in Linux. So you can kind of see what happens. But the process accounting only matters after a process is finished. Then it gets written to the process accounting log. What it's done, what it costs, you know, how long it was doing, whatever. All that statistics. ATOP is gathering that data, but it's also simultaneously, every time it does a timestamp, going and looking at all the active processes and collecting hardware counter information. So it's giving you a live uh, view of your system. Now, I've used this tool for 15 years, and I've been looking for monitoring solutions that do what ATOP does as well as it does, but doesn't involve an on-system tool. I would like to take that, that engine that ATOP does and graft it into some one or a couple other monitoring tools so I can get that level of detail remotely. Well, yeah, ideally, you would have a client-server model for whatever is running so that you have the server that's actually collecting it, and then you can have different GUI front ends to it. Mm-hmm. You could write widgets for it or yeah if you wanted you could you know if you had a, a vpn setup you could then right. tunnel and actually access it from externally it's like remote atop effectively is yeah what it would be doing yeah. yeah um yeah that that's one uh that i definitely definitely want that's a good one uh the second one is this this applies to a very small segment of people so this is probably why it doesn't exist i would love to be able to control applications based on what screen they are on on my computer because i use four screens on my computer so for example i would like to be able to drag windows to one monitor and i have in some configuration somewhere that any window that is being rendered on this screen automatically is muted it can make no sound that's cool so i I could take you know a, a window or an application or whatever throw it onto that screen and no, I am never going to have to worry about any sound coming out of here, but I can still see it. I can still monitor it. I can still see all that. Uh, that obviously doesn't exist. And I don't really know how you would do that because I don't, I don't know if an application can find out what screen it is on. I don't know either. So you would have to have something running as a daemon 
that would query the processes to find out what window or what screen each window is on. And then that would have to have the ability to then change the audio settings of that window. There's a theme for your t tool. It seems like a, a like a holistic system view. Yeah, and, and information from multiple different subsystems together to make a view or do something, achieve something. Yeah, and then giving the user the control over their own system. Right, which these are challenging to do if you're writing a generic tool. But if you if you know specifically you're going to be using this environment and these tools and you limit it, or if IBM decides they want something like this, then they could write it for their software, or Oracle could write it as part of Oracle Linux seven or eight or whatever they're doing. If you know definitively, you've only got a couple situations that you're watching, or Apple could do something. Well, but, I know. I think this could go on any distro because effectively it's a daemon that would be querying X or Wayland. Mm -hmm. But then I don't know. A, I don't know if Wayland can report that externally. I know it monitors it internally. I don't know if it's actually you can poke it's that exposing and get that. those those data structures externally as files or something. Can poke. Right. Yeah. I don't know that. And then on the follow up is I don't know of an easy way. Well, I guess Pulse Audio you could disable sound per application. Yeah, well, Pipewire is going to take over, so don't worry. I just made the sound of the cross. But the problem is Pulse Audio will focus on that. You know, you can go, okay, Firefox can't can't get, can't play sound. Okay, well, what if I have two separate Firefox windows on two different screens? It's going to mute both of them. So that's not what you want. So you would have to narrow it down to the actual window, not ID. the process. Oh, okay, not process. Yeah, you're right, because one process can have multiple windows. Correct. Ooh. Yeah, and that that infrastructure might not exist inside the application, so That's, it might be yeah. the application is just like, okay, I've got to kill all sound. Mm -hmm. I don't think this would be the case for browsers because you can mute individual browser tabs. You can now, yeah. So there should be some functionality there, mm -hmm. but I'm not smart enough to figure out how to do that. So someone else who's smarter than me, uh, can you do that? Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> I'll buy you a box of cookies if you do that. It'll be tag along. Maybe even two boxes. Oh, wow. How rich. Following that up is the more general question that I said that we would get to, which is, what would you do with a billion dollars? Now, because this was so open-ended, I'm going to interpret this as in, you have a billion dollars, you can do anything you want. Liquid. Not just tech-related, like whatever. Right. Yes. Well... First thing I would take care of the homestead. I would go and buy some significant amount of property. I don't know, a thousand acres somewhere, quiet that had lots of trees and some hills and some streams or something. Build a nice house with a huge workshop adjoining it, and then a data center. Also, I would pay to get uh, some fiber plumbed out to it, and I'd have my own tap basically, run my own local data center, but not in the house because that's hot, right? Uh, having taken care of that, I don't know how many millions of dollars that would be. Several. I, I don't need like a mansion. Actually, I, I can live quite simply, especially if I have a workshop. But that's all. Most of the stuff I have is like workshoppy stuff. So if it's out of the house, I can deal with like fifteen hundred square feet and be perfectly happy, right? I don't need a fancy kitchen. I don't need anything like that. So having taken care of that, I would then stick some significant portion of it in several different investments. One, probably create an endowment for some scholarships. Again, education is my focus. Uh, another is some kind of endowment for some uh, yearly award to some worthy, small, struggling open source project or two, something like that. And then the third would be my investment in case everything that I've just purchased has gone belly up. And I don't know how much that leaves. Uh, I'd probably hire a lobbying firm to try and counteract some of the lobbying from communication, ISPs, um, and some other things. The problem is that they have 
very deep pockets and a billion dollars won't go far enough to take care of all of it. So I have to be targeted to just decide. I probably would do uh, anti-Facebook lobbying, anti-Google lobbying, although I don't know. I'd have to decide. I would put together some kind of skunk works lobbying crew that I could trust. Uh, and some some of this money also I'd have to set aside to create a business or two that I would like to do. And then I would probably put the rest of whatever's remaining. So let's say it's $500 million that I've spent. I'd put the rest in, I don't know how you invest $500 million, but I would hire some people to invest it and keep my powder dry for something that comes along that I don't know yet. I'm going to say you invest it carefully. Carefully. Okay, great. But I, would, I wouldn't spend it all. I would spend no more than half of it and leave the other half for I don't know what, but I can be opportunistic on a very large scale with $500 million being invested. Right? So I don't know what it would look like or what it would be for. Maybe. Uh, space travel becomes economical with air quotes around it in a couple of years. Maybe I would pay for some time up in space or something. I don't know. But I'd rather use that money not selfishly, I guess. Affect positive change in society. And it's weird because there's like this scale thing. You can affect positive change on a small scale using small money and on a medium scale, but the large scale, there's never really enough money to affect it on a large scale. So you have to be targeted. I would just say, be opportunistic. Okay. So some of that is similar to what I would do. Uh, I think, I don't know if we talked about it on show or that was just one of the other times we were talking, but yeah, homesteading would be nice. I would, I would go buy a whole bunch of land up in Alaska mm-hmm. and move up there, have a small log cabin house. Yeah. You could run, if you could find a source of power, you could run GPUs super cheap because the, the cooling's built in. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't I don't know if there's geothermal in Alaska. There might be. Might be. But depending on well, where I would probably want to live, there probably wouldn't be. Right. Um, because I would want to live in the mountainy mountainous area. Cold, okay. desolate regions. That's kinda of what I would like to do too. I don't think I'd want to be in Alaska, but uh I, well, the homestead would have to be barring the data snow, have to be somewhat self sufficient on power. So factor Yeah, see I wanna be I wanna be far away from power, water, all of it would need to be self sufficient. Yeah, as as self sufficient as possible. Mm-hmm. Um that then brings up the problem of okay, well, how are you going to get internet connectivity? Because you're not you're not dropping a fiber line right out to the middle of nowhere in Alaska. Starlink. Uh, well, Starlink, or you know, with a billion dollars, is I would basically have my own satellite that would geostationary be parked above me with a dish down on the ground. That that would then I'd I'd call up you know my buddy Elon and be like, hey man, I need to be able to link my satellite to your network. To your network. Can can we work that out? Mm-hmm. You're looking at seven hundred million dollars just for that. Yeah. But with a billion, you could do that. With, I, with a billion, I could do that. And yeah. then I'd have my own satellite. And uh, that'd as be cool. As long as it had, like, death rays on it, laser rays. No, I don't, I don't want death rays, laser but rays. You could target anything. Don't want to tax your Right, homestead. right. That's why also countries would then remove the satellite. They don't know about the death rays. Well, I'm pretty sure they would know about it. How? Uh, there's probably some certification you have to... Well, no. Actually, you have to get approval to launch anything. Okay. So your death rays would be known about. So yeah, they would be known about and they would say no. Okay. So that's, that's no not, death that's, rays. That's not cool. You're, okay. the, you're the evil supervillain here, Jeff, not no, me. I am a supervillain? Wow. Apparently, I you're the one that wants to put death rays in space. No, I was just thinking about how to defend your homestead. You've got this satellite that's pointed to your I'm homestead. I'm in the middle of time. nowhere. I don't need to defend it. And when someone comes to attack you, you'll have no one else to defend you. It's just like Russia, man. There's so much land that people will freeze to death trying to get there. Uh, yeah, but you forget I mean, about Napoleon cars. learned that lesson and so did Hitler. You know, you don't. Okay. All right. So you think you don't need a fence. People come after rich. I folks. have a fence, but you know, there, there's a, there's a huge gap between needing a fence and needing death rays. Right. Okay. okay. 
Fence good. Death rays are unnecessary. Death rays would be super useful, though. Would you have a minefield? See, this is exactly what I'm talking about, man. Super villain. You gotta think outside the box. Okay, so anyway, I'm gonna continue. Anyway, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, I also would get a decent size steel hold boat for doing photo trips around the world. Ah, cool. That would be fun. And yeah. I would also build a very nice uh, telescope with me up there in Alaska for doing astrophotography as well. Cool. Uh, then with, with other money, I would fund a bunch of software projects like the two I just mentioned that should exist. Mm -hmm. And with a billion dollars, I could hire a whole bunch of really smart developers for a couple of years. Yep. Be like, listen, I'm going to pay you a million dollars. And you're going to make for me. You're going to make this for me. And you're going to make it open source. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think um, you'd have lots of takers for that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And it would probably get accomplished. You know, you probably have enough context in the business. You could like maybe hire someone you know that would be good at, good at doing it. Even. Although it's. Are you trying to put in your resume, Jeff? No, I wouldn't be good at doing what you're asking for. Okay. But uh, just thinking, I'm sure between you and I, we have plenty of contacts in the open source world. And we could find someone of quality that we knew that would be we knew would be good at it. You know, good problem solving, not just a random crapshoot. So you wouldn't have to deal with fraud. Basically, you go to people you know, say, hey, would you be willing to quit your job for a year to do this? I'll pay you handsomely. Yeah. And they would actually take you seriously. Although too. that would probably take more than a year. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but, yeah, to be honest. But they yeah. would take you seriously because they know you. Yeah. So there's well, that advantage Also, too. I think if you go forward to an open source developer and you're like, I'm going to pay you a million dollars to develop this, I think they're going to take that person seriously even if they don't know who that person is. Yeah. So, yeah. just saying. Well, so. Uh, let's you're putting see. money into open source for sure. Right. You're just putting it in the way you want it. Um, moving that. forward is a question, specific question for Jeff. Uh oh. Um, Jeff, do you think JT is an asshole? I thought he was until I met him. But after meeting him, I think he's a pretty chill dude. I think he just need he just seems like one until you get to know him. He's very direct. I don't call him an asshole. He's just he doesn't mince words. He's very truthful to a fault. He does not allow untruthful things to pass by without declaring them and trying to change them. He's very principled. All these things make him appear like an asshole at times, but he's not. And even if he is, is like when we're talking and he's, he'll be very careful to press preface. Like, I don't mean this to be hurtful or anything. I just want to point something out. It's always, he's always trying to help. So no, I don't think of him as, as an asshole. Although I will call him an asshole jokingly sometimes because it's funny. Yeah, well, I call myself an asshole jokingly, so yeah. that's So fair. there you go. But uh, I don't actually mean it. Oh, I do. <laughs> okay, you know yourself better than me. Uh, okay, so anyway, uh, what is one thing most people wouldn't assume about you is true, but is? Wouldn't assume about me. I'm open about a lot of stuff. Um, wouldn't assume about me. This may sound dumb, but I drive a big F-150. I don't think a lot of people listening would think that. Or, or something. Although I am from Texas. So if you know I'm from Texas, you'd probably expect a, a truck of some kind. But Yeah, isn't that a law in Texas? You no, have it's to have not. a big it's, truck, it's not you have a to law. have cowboy boots, and a cowboy hat. You're being an asshole. Don't do that. <laughs> Ding. Anyway, uh, that's, a, that's a tough question to answer because I, I feel like I'm pretty open about a lot of things. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with the, I drive a truck. There's something better that'll come to me later in the, in the conversation, but we can come back to that. I'll let it marinate. So for me, I think the one that stands out to me the most is that 
people don't realize how much I appreciate the analog world. Because, you know, I work in technology. I've worked in technology for a very long time. I love advanced technology. But I also really, really, really appreciate really, really, really old things. Yes, he does. That as his museum is evidence are, of. You know, physical, analog. Yeah. At the end of the day, all of our digital toys, and I say toys jokingly, they must pass back through the analog domain before they re are received by us. In some fashion, I mean, so if a screen, even like a digital LCD, your eyes are not digital. So it's being parsed from the digital way it's being presented to analog in your eyes. And when it leaves us to go to a computer, it's coming out analog too. So everything must pass through the analog domain at least twice. And I love the old devices that never were digital, just like it's purely analog and there's a lot of charm in them. Um, next question. Who is your favorite mathematician? Euclid. Okay. Mine would have to be Godel. Hmm. Good one. Sure. Okay. Next question. We're just going to leave that hanging out yeah. there. So people, people are, are going to like, why? why? Why do you like Euclid and Godel? Uh, I have a nice copy of Euclid's elements. And I love looking at it and going through it. It's so fundamental. That's why. Okay. That's easy. Uh, well, I guess I have to answer mine then. You don't have to. Thanks, Jeff. Um, don't feel like so. Don't feel peer pressure. I like I like Godel because he was so brilliant and good at taking a principle and looking at it at its logical conclusions and what must be true for it to be true. That's true. Yeah. So if you look at the one of the big debates that was going on at the time, which I think was was it Hilbert. Um, when they were trying to determine if math could be completely axiomized mm -hmm. and they could prove all the things, mm -hmm. you had those who were like, yes, we can. Others were saying, no, we don't think so. It's where a lot of the set theory came from. And then Godel just basically came in like a wrecking ball <laughs> and was like, hey, you know, this, these points that you're saying we should be able to do? Nope, 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 nope. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so I just I kind of always respected that, and like he he really touched on a lot of different like abstract areas of mathematics. Mm -hmm. Um, and the thing a lot of people don't know was he was actually friends with Einstein. I didn't know that. Yep, so that makes sense. Yeah, him and Einstein used to communicate back and forth. So the brains of that era were probably you know reaching out to each other because the world was mad back then, mm -hmm. just crazy. Yeah, and Godel actually had some math proofs about um, space time hmm. that he had he had put out. Um, specifically about closed time like curve space time. Oh, that's cool. And what that would mean and how that would work. And yeah, so yeah, so Godel. Um, cool. Next question is what is your pet preference? Um, as in pet peeve, but preference? Um, I'm thinking it, it, this is like basically animal the, at home. Are you a cat or dog person? I'm definitely a dog person, I'm a big dog person. We have uh, a Catahoula leopard dog, which is an uncommon breed. And we have an Airedale terrier. And they're both 70-ish pounds. And the terrier... So the younger one, the terrier, is the one that you love so much. You're saying that sarcastically. Uh, yes, I am. Because that dog is a menace. No, it's not. He's lovely. He He's, is a menace. He loves people very thoroughly. He just loves you more than you like to be loved. 
That's it. No, that's not true. Because your other dog is an absolute sweetheart. Okay, she's a holy terror. No, she's you've an got, absolute this, sweetheart. You've got this backwards. The Catahoula is the older. She, um, she's a wonderful dog in the house, except when someone's doing something she thinks shouldn't happen, and then she gets into correction mode, which is really not fun because when she tries to correct one of us in the house, we're like, "No, you don't correct us. We tell you what to do." And thus ensues a battle of wills. This happens in my regularly. We can't actually take her out into public spaces because she'll try to correct everybody in the area, which is very hilarious, except when it's your dog and everybody's like, what is this menace doing barking at me? Actually, no, they're more fear, afraid, of, afraid of, than anything. So I think it's weird that like your dogs behave with me the complete opposite as they behave with you. Well, you also met Archie, the younger one, when he was a puppy. So he was only yeah. five or six months old when you first, not even that. We'd, we'd just gotten him, I believe. No, no, no. When you came over to visit with him, he, he was not quite a year old. But he was still well into puppy phase, well into energetic. He didn't quite understand boundaries with non-us. He like, still doesn't. Yes, he does, actually. He does Well, not. not since my... Well, last time I was there, he still had Yeah, but it's been over a year since he'd been over. That's true. So he's gotten a lot better. He's two and some change now. And he's... He's still a young dog. He still does young dog things sometimes, but he's also very intelligent. It's hilarious. My my older dog, Phoebe, she does watch TV. Now, I know people say, well, dogs don't watch TV. She actually does. Example, when uh, I watch football, one of the things, the patterns that we adopted was in order to keep the dogs from getting freaked out when I was getting annoyed at the game, I would give them treats every time something good happened. Phoebe several times has recognized I'm watching the Dallas Cowboys, and she comes over and stares at me intently like, you're not doing this right. There's no treats out. Where are my treats? She knows what I'm watching. She also knows when a dog comes on TV or an animal that's misbehaving, according to her. So she likes to, she'll be on the couch and she'll look up and you can see the bottom lip curl and she just leaps off the couch and starts barking at the TV. We've tried to train her not to. She does it anyway. Archie has started to figure out what are the things that triggers her to do that. So when he, he recognizes a cartoon or a commercial comes on that he's seen before that she reacts to, he starts antagonizing her to get her startled and, and worked up early, so she will definitely jump off the couch. And I find this exchange hilarious. He's actively watching TV just to troll her. And that's not something I trained. It just happened. But he's, he's, it's very amusing. So I guess he does have that kind of troll in him. He was not trolling you. He was just excited. He still fears that towel. By the way. Yeah, but like Phoebe with me has just, has always been just really nice, friendly, calm, I mean, yeah, she sometimes gets a little hyperactive and won't stop sometimes. my hands. But other than that, like, there was one night where you had to go somewhere for, for work, I think. Um, so I was in my room with my laptop, and she just she came in, laid down next to me, mm-hmm. and that was, that was that for, like, three hours. Yeah, she loves that. She, she is a snuggle dog. Yeah. Archie is mass- rapidly becoming, I'd say he already is, a snuggle dog. He was a drool dog. He just wanted to like, I just want to drool on you. Well, he's got that beard. That's, that's the breed cut for terriers for Airedale terriers yeah. is they leave the, the muzzle kind of uncut. And so he gets it. He sticks his whole mouth. Okay. Here's the problem. His eyes are kind of, sorry, kind of close set to his nose and his snout is a little bit long. So we can't actually see past his nose. What he does when he drinks water is he just plunges the whole end of his mouth in there and just starts drinking. What ends up happening is the beard on his mouth gets wet. And when he comes over and he nuzzles you or something, he's got wet beard and he rubs it on your knee or whatever. So he was doing that a lot to you. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so for me, I'm definitely a dog person. Um, one of these days I want to get uh Rhodesian Ridge back. 
Those uh, are so beautiful. They they are. They're great dogs. Yeah, they I are. have a few friends that have them. Love them. Mm-hmm. Um, I also currently kind of have squirrels as pets in my house. They're or, not pets. Or maybe the squirrels have me as They're their roommates. Pet. I'm not. I'm not really sure where the. I think that's more accurate. You are the pet. Yeah. With squirrels. Because I think they were here before I was. So well, almost certainly. You're like, who is this imposter? Yeah. Who's this person in our house? He keeps putting barriers up to where we were moving around in the house where it's warm. He keeps stealing our nuts. Okay, next question. Which Expanse character do you identify with? Ooh. Are we going just the primary four? Uh, no, I think we're going Anyone show. in the universe? Yeah. Because oh. I don't want to limit it too much. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Should I go first? Yeah, go ahead. Go first okay. so I can think. So for me, I would say Amos. Really? Yeah. And I, th- I don't think most people would realize that. Would surprises say that. me. Really? You are that guy? You are that guy. I, I, I kind of am that guy. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. that kind of straightforward. Don't mess with him. Mission, mission first. That you this are is that. The goal. You are that. I recognize that. Yeah. But, um, but Amos is like, it doesn't matter how dirty it's going to go. It has to be done. We're going to do it. Right. Yeah, that, that's, okay. I, I strongly identify with that. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, I think in the show, they've, they've intentionally made or well in the story. Yeah. They've intentionally amped that up for his character. They, they, they have. Um, yeah, the, the yeah, like there's one, there's one scene that I, I'm thinking of where uh, it's actually it was in the last season mm-hmm. at the very end when he's talking to Holden and this is in the show. And they're talking back to something that happened in the first season mm-hmm. when the uh, Martians were going to board their ship and Amos had taken up post mm-hmm. to shoot them if they came through. Right. And, you know, Holden put a gun to Amos's head. Right, and I remember Am- that. And Amos's attitude was like, "Do what you got to do, boss. Yeah, exactly. this is what I'm doing." I love that. I loved that scene. He's like, he was using it as a trick. Right. He yeah. was completely nonplussed by it. Like it's just a thing that happened. I don't hold it against you. You know. Yeah. You know, you were going to kill me. It happens. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. It's just that's that's part of what was going on. That's yeah. fine. That's the way it was. So, um, having had some time to think, I like to think of myself. If you as, say Naomi, I'm going to punch you. Why? Because I can't stand her. Oh no, I hate her character. Okay, good. Like, I think she, I love her technical ability. That's what I would like to say that I have. But I'm more likely to be holding and tilting at windmill. Okay. I'm like a composite of those two. I was trying to think of some of the other uh, ancillary characters that I might be more fit to. Uh, and the guy who takes over in season five for uh, after Fred gets killed. Mm-hmm. Oops, sorry, spoilers. Fred uh, leaves the show. Oops. Oh, well. The guy who takes over the station then. Um, well, he doesn't take over the station. He takes over. He goes. He goes on the ship. He goes. Takes yeah, over he for takes over. Um, Alex's because Alex is off doing the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Alex is, is doing other stuff. That's, other a, that's stuff. a pleasant way to say it. I'm trying to not at this give point. It, it's been out. Spoilers. Yeah, but it's only been out for a couple months. Anyway, anyway, I I would aspire to be someone like Bobby. It's just like she's like she's. It feels like she's a kindred to, you know, it's no it's no big deal, boss. It's just what we got to do. Yeah. She's very straightforward about that. She's also got that snarkiness to her that I really appreciate. And I, I feel like I got some of that snarky. I'm not, I don't have any military background or training, so I, mm-hmm. I couldn't be Bobby. Yeah. But like, like her demeanor is kind of like, okay, this is what we're doing now. Fine. And this is what it's going to take. Okay. This is going to be in trouble. Fine. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Her and Amos share that. Yeah. And I like that. I would aspire to be that, but I don't think I am. That's a good question. So I, let's take it a step further. Um, uh oh. And that's. So I would have pictured you as um, the cop. Hmm. Because of your, like, 
inquisitive, investigative really? nature. The guy who wants to shoot people in season four. The guy who wants to shoot on, on the on the surface of the the planet uh, Illus. Or which no, 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 no. Season one cop. With, uh, oh, with, with, oh, yeah. Like, actually, that's, yeah. That's who I see you that's as. That's actually pretty good. Yeah, they're kind of like, this has got to be done. Oh, fine, I'll do it. Kind of fatalistic. Yeah, actually, that's really good. I've had that thought before. I don't want to be that, but you're probably right. We see what we want to see about ourselves, right? Yeah. But uh, he's, he's always got that kind of confused face, like, I'm going to figure this out. I just don't have it right now. Mm-hmm. That, and I'm going to pull the thread. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep no following matter, what that happens, thread wherever it goes. And he also, it doesn't matter if people are with him or not. That's one of the things I do like about the show. A lot of the, a lot of the uh, protagonists, mm-hmm. they do things whether it needs to be done or not, whether they have someone to help them or not, they just go do it because it needs to be done. I like that about the show. Now, this is set in space. That's kind of the demeanor that we would expect. If you live in space, there is a fatalism to it. Must have oxygen. Must have necessities. Must, you know, must always be prepared for eventualities. Must know right. where in the room is the injection to reduce my heart rate so I can survive in a low-air event or whatever. You know? So, I, I could see that. Yeah. I so, before I said Amos... Who would you have pictured me best fitting? I was, uh, yeah, it's troubling because he primed me. I'm trying to think about it. Maybe Fred. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. He's got a, a background that he regrets. He's moved past it. He, uh, he's made a new life. He's helping people, but he's also holding the line. Controls a station, but it's not like he's controlling a station because it's his will. He feels like it's his duty. He's he's obligated to pay for crimes in the past. It's not to say you have crimes in the past or anything. It's just it's you feel like you have this obligation to hold the line. Like you were talking earlier, you've taken on more projects without yeah. any free time. Why? Well, you maybe you feel you have this obligation. So I was, I think Fred. Okay, I can see that. Uh, let's see. I like Fred. Yeah. He was also willing to sacrifice his life's work because it called for it because it would save humanity. Yeah. And that's the thing I could see you doing. I've been working on this for years, but if it means I have to throw all this work away to save something important, I will do it. You would be willing to do that. So the next qua question is... Qua? Yeah, qua. Uh, I don't know where that came the from. The next what? Um, what do you feel is one of the biggest problems facing Linux? Um... This is odd. The people that say we need to consolidate down to one Linux. I have long felt that the wild variability of Linux, you can have as many weird systems, as many weird softwares, things don't always work. It can be unpolished because we've got so many different distributions and so many different ways of doing things. I think that is one of Linux's greatest strengths. I don't like what you're doing. I fork it and I go do something slightly different. I take what you've done already. You've allowed me to do that by the license. And then I make my modifications and then I use it myself. That creates a very fractured environment. Over time, the best solutions do float to the top, but there's still going to be those people that just don't want to use the best solution for whatever reason. Maybe they just don't like it. Maybe they don't want to do what's normal like I was when I was younger. But there's a lot of people out there that firmly believe Linux will never gain full adoption from other people unless we have like one Linux experience. You've got one version of Microsoft. You've got you know, one lineage of OS 10 now OS 11 to follow with, with major version changes between them. But like when I say OS 10, people know what I'm talking about. When I say Linux, 
The next question is what distribution? You know, you have to go into specifics. And so a lot of people feel that we need to consolidate that down. We have the one experience. When I say I'm using Linux, everybody knows exactly what I mean about all these systems. I don't, I think that's destructive. So for myself, I would say the biggest problem is, I guess I would say user friendliness. Okay. Yeah. We have, the Linux community has spent a lot of time focusing on the, the UI, which obviously matters. But then things kind of went awry there for a while, in my opinion. Like, for instance, with GNOME. The, the, mm-hmm. Let's reinvent the desktop experience. I really did not like that. I no. Can we not? Can yeah. we? Can we get to the point where people can sit down and use a system? And yeah, it's going to look a little different, but not that they have to relearn everything. It's already hard enough to get somebody to move mm-hmm. from one operating system and system to another. Mm-hmm. To then go, oh, yeah, and also relearn everything you think you know. Mm-hmm. Like that's a big step, and I think that sometimes we as a community are so focused on trying to come up with the newest, greatest thing mm-hmm. that we don't even consider what's the willingness going to be for people to even try this thing. Who cares? And if people do try it, is it going to be something that they're going to be able to just sit down and use and understand without needing to spend three hours trying to figure it out? I've always lived by the opinion that if you have to explain your UI, you've failed. I agree with that. And so many things now, I, I see, and I'm not just trying to harp on GNOME, I'm just using them as an example. It, it made sense to one person, and everyone else has to learn that now. Like, for instance, and I think I actually mentioned this in the stream the other night, or last week or whatever. On, in GNOME, if you use the Polari IRC client, well, let, let, me, let me put it this way. In a normal desktop, you open up an IRC client. You want to add a server or a user account on a server. You go up to settings or you go to you know, the file servers or whatever, and you add it right there, and you're done. You, you set the settings for the program in the program. That's pretty simple. So let's talk about GNOME and Polari. And this may have changed since I last used it, but I actually filed a bug ticket uh, specifically about this because if you wanted... To change your servers in Polari, you couldn't. You had to go into GNOME user settings to be able to add a server for your IRC client, uh, to be able to change the port and all that. And it's like, oh. no, there's no reason I should have to open up a settings program in another utility mm-hmm. to change the settings in the utility I'm at. Locality principle now, says it should be in that program. The argument for why this was done was, well, because then there's one place that you go to change all the settings for all your different things. And it's like, you can have it there, but it should also be in the program because that's the intuitive first place to look for it. Sure, Not, that. let me go dig around to see where you've buried this. Like those kind of things. Again, it's that, let's, let's reimagine the way you're going to use your computer. And by doing that, you've now made it so that it's not intuitive and nobody knows where stuff is. But at the same time, maybe by practicing those things and trying them, you do discover some new, new paradigms that we would like. So if you never try it, if you're always just iterating on what you've already got, you may not find this new excellent technique or some intuitive way of handling X or Y unless you try it. So I guess, let's say this. Maybe if GNOME didn't force that on everybody as the default, if it was an option, 
but you could try it that way, then that'd be much preferable. You had classic GNOME, and then you had that. Now, some distributions would choose to use the new version, like uh, Arch or something. Ar- Ar- I don't know if is Arch a GNOME or a KDE. Kind of Arch thing. is whatever you choose. That's true. Okay. So maybe they would choose the default if you chose GNOME would be to use this GNOME new interface, but uh, Ubuntu would stick with the old or something. Well, they got their own things too. So is it that you want the singularity of of the experience or you don't like that you're being forced to change to something that uh, you haven't practiced? I guess I'm not, I'm not articulating what I'm trying to grasp here. It seems okay. like... So I don't have a problem with people trying crazy wild stuff. As long as you're not affected fine. by it? But if you're going to do crazy wild stuff, training wheels. Yeah. Okay. Keep the original way that you could do it so that people who weren't the developers and didn't make that decision of I'm going to bury it in this other application mm-hmm. have an idea where to go. Mm-hmm. And then like inside the program, you can put a little box that says, you know, these can, settings can be changed in, you know, your user account settings or whatever. Like mm-hmm. you can make that bridge so that somebody sitting down who opens it up, who does the thing that they have the muscle memory for and the mental memory of how to do can see, oh, there's another way. And it would probably in, populate the records in, in the yes. place it wants. Instead of them sitting down, like what happened to me, open up Polari, go to put in a server, and then like, hold on, I can't change to the SSL port, which I have to do to connect to the server. Why can't I change the port? I actually filed the bug ticket because I didn't think you could set the SSL port. Yeah. Because there's nowhere for me to set the SSL port. Mm-hmm. And then later found, oh, actually, you guys stuck it in another application. Yeah, that doesn't like, make sense you can do stuff to change the paradigm, mm. but it better a be very well documented. Like there could, there could have been a little tooltip tool thing yep. that you click it. And it's like, if you need to set SSL, go here, something, mm. because I, I think there's an expectation by developers. And I, and I've done this myself with Lumina where you're like, Oh, this is going to make sense. Well, it doesn't, it just made sense to you. But mm-hmm. every other person is like, that's the most daft I think I've ever heard of. Right. So it's just, you need, and as a community, we all need to be aware that people are onboarding at completely different points mm-hmm. in their tech lives of what they understand and what they don't understand. That's correct, yeah. The, the, the user base of Linux has gained massively. We are not just a whole bunch of tech people that enjoy digging around a system to find where you can set an SSL port. Right. There's a lot of people that use Linux because they don't want to use Mac or Windows. And they just want to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that use Linux without ever using the GUI. Also, you know, a lot of people that would claim to be uh, Linux users or, or something. Maybe they're they're DevOps aficionados, and so they're only seeing uh, Linux server and deployment stuff. They never actually interact with uh, a desktop environment. You know, that's been my life for the last couple of years. I haven't really used a Linux desktop environment in five years or so. So that's actually kind of the kind of highlights more of what I'm saying because if you look at those people, mm-hmm. the people that don't really deal with the GUI. When you change something, there is an immediate outcry of, hold up, hold up, you have just changed something. Like, look at all the, the drama around System D. Mm-hmm. That was because the way that you're doing this is going to change. And there were a lot of people that were like, hold up, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Why are you changing everything of how I, I administer a system? Oh, I remember ranting about that very thing. And those are people that are highly technical. Mm-hmm. But what I'm talking about with like the UI stuff, like now you're talking about the people who aren't technical and right. you're throwing those people under the bus. Right. Like, it's one thing to throw a sysadmin under the bus, so to speak, of changing the way something is, because he can dig into the documentation and figure it out. Mm-hmm. 
But when you throw a user who's just, you know, opening up applications under the bus, that's a completely different thing in my mind. Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay. Uh, next question kind of follows on that. All right. Um, and that is, what is your biggest current gripe with technology? Less so about technology, but more about the companies that are making all of our technology. Um, I don't know if that's a fair answer. Sure. Uh, so the big five, uh, Google, actually, no, Netflix, I don't know if it's, depending on how you look at it, the big five could be the GNAP or Fang or whatever it is. Um, but you, um, you have these companies that are building all this technology, and a lot of it is pretty great, but they're always laden with caveats. And the understanding, if you actually look at it, that you're giving up a lot of yourself for just one of these tools. And they've built the ecosystem such that you can't just have this one tool in isolation. In order to use this tool, you must have already created an account and created a presence in the ecosystem. And no doubt they've already got a presence for you. They're just attaching what you've given them to what they've already gathered about you. So the technology that's coming out today is really pretty cool. A lot of the, the tools that are coming out that, that everyday users will use, but they come with such um, not you're giving away everything of yourself like we always say if the product is free then you are the product and a lot of these things that are coming out they're all free and I just don't I'm not comfortable with giving away information I was joking with you the other day about a lot of rewards programs like at fast food places here give us your information create a business contact with us and we'll give you a free 99 cent chips and nacho cheese like my data is worth a lot more than that I'm not going to sell it casually, and I don't like giving it away casually to tech organizations. I wish, and there's no way for them to be able to afford these tools if they're not getting the money from the data. I would like to have these tech companies building tools that don't require investment in the ecosystem. Pipe dream, I know, but that's to me the biggest problem. Yeah, for me, I would I would agree with that. Uh, it, the tentacles of mm -hmm. of how yeah you can't just use one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that I would follow that up with is more on the downstream consumer side is how and again this is user interaction how all interfaces are becoming so dumbed down and simplified mm -hmm. I mean I kind of feel like these companies are treating everybody like they're in kindergarten and you can only have three options or whatever like we can't we can't give you too much in the UI because then you're going to be confused you're not going to figure out how to use it right now I know you don't like Apple We've talked about this. I have my grapes about Apple too. But one of the things they do is they will hide menu details. Like if you go to your wireless details, you click wireless, it just normally drops down and shows you all the different wireless networks you could possibly pick. And there's an option at the bottom to do preferences. If you hold down the option button when you click that, all of a sudden it jumps and it gives you a lot more information. Like what's your actual recorded, you know, loss and, and all this stuff. What's the BSS ID you're connected to? All this stuff. And I don't know if they're doing it everywhere, but that I could be okay with companies putting fewer things and dumbing down their interfaces. If you knew the power button, the, the, the unlock powerful things button that you would hold when you clicked it, and all of a sudden, the, all of the options would be present. Yeah, that doesn't bother me at all. And there's a lot, like the browsers, they'll have a beginner, like a basic mode, and then advanced options mode. They separate the stuff that a lot of people need to interact with and the stuff that only a few people will really care about. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that, but they're giving me the option to do the advanced stuff. What I'm not okay with is when I'm not given the option to do something, it's just decided for me, which Apple is famous for deciding, no, you don't need that feature. Yeah, yeah. And that really, really bothers me. Yeah, that would be fine with me. Um, again, I don't mind you simplifying an interface. I don't mind somebody streamlining as long as the information is very easily accessible. Mm -hmm. PayPal 
is the worst. Mm. <laughs> um, there was one time, I, I don't know if I can dig up the screenshot of it, but when they were uh, updating their UI, this was probably 2015, where they decided that their, their new mobile UI was brilliant and everybody needed to use the mobile web interface. Oh, I hate that. Which was really funny when you opened it up on a 4K screen <laughs> and about 2% of the window was actually populated with anything, which was just like your account balance and then like the buttons to send and receive. Because if you opened up the mobile browser, that's what would show. Right. Well, when they pushed it out, they decided to make that the default. Hmm. And it's like, uh, I've, I've got a lot of pixels here, guys. You can use them. Mm -hmm. um, which goes into, of course, the web trend of just wipe space, of where they're going to remove something from the, the interface. We're going to hide it. We're not going to put something else there. We're not going to move things around so they fit better. We're just going to leave open area on the web page because that somehow looks good. Mm. And like recently, PayPal has been doing another redesign. And I swear, I log in and I'm look like, where do I click to send money? Mm. I can't find it anymore. It <laughs> takes me like 10 seconds to find where on the page is the button or the link that I need to click or the menu I need to open to be able to send money for, to somebody. And it's like, you're PayPal. This is the only thing you're good for. Mm -hmm. Why are you giving me all this other nonsense and asking me about business loans mm -hmm. every time I log in? I'm logging in because I want to send money. I want to receive money. But they don't want you to just send and receive money. They want you to take out loans. They want you to take out their products which get them a lot more profit. And they're willing to sacrifice that basic functionality to, I don't want to say force you, but basically coerce you into trying these other products because that's where they make their real money. And again, I don't mind if they do that alongside, but they're taking away the actual useful stuff, mm -hmm. which is the primary function in the case of PayPal, hiding it, leaving lots of space on the page so it looks pretty, mm -hmm. with, with big air quotes, to then inject all this other stuff that isn't actually what their service is about. Right. So it's like, we're going to dumb the interface down and actually take away the things that you want so we can do these other... It's like, no, just stop. Their goal is not to make an interface that you can pay someone with. Their goal is to get you to buy their products and to keep engagement hot. So I had to recently well, create... PayPal uh, doesn't sell products. They do. The loans. The other ways of selling, of sending money that gives them more revenue. It's right that they're not a bank. They've always been very clear that they're not a bank. Right. So the money you give them, you're basically giving to a random person to hold for you with the expectation and the trust that when you ask for it, that money will be given back to you. They're not a bank. So if you have money in your PayPal account, not in a bank, it can be taken from you for any reason or no reason at all. But what they really want is to get you hooked into long-term commitments to them. Then they're making revenue every week or every month. Subscription model. Everything wants a subscription model. Yeah, which I abhor. Yeah, I, yeah, I hate that. So I had signed up recently for PayPal because I had to send somebody money, and it sent me several emails up front. And I was like, okay, I don't need, I don't need all these in separate emails. I think what they're trying to do is keep engagement high. Like, look how much we're communicating with you. And then two days later, they sent me a new a new email saying, "You've got a new experience." I'm like, no. I don't have a new experience. Stop sending me emails. Yeah. I will let you know when I want to do anything with PayPal. I only did it because I needed to transfer this money one time. Now I have an engagement with them that I have to manage. And it takes interrupt and it takes attention away from the things that I actually want to do. But that's their goal. There's no point in giving you a free service to transfer money back and forth if you're not then some people were buying upsells. Otherwise, they can't afford to give the services that they've got. Now they were they were taking some of the uh especially they were partnering with eBay. For so long when someone would pay with paypal they would take some of the they would they would get some percentage of whatever ebay was taking i believe for the transaction processing cost they still get that 
They still get There's that? There's always a transaction cost. Okay. It shows what I know. Yeah. Since I've only used it once recently. So, um, Following this up, this now extends it beyond tech. But what do you think is one of the biggest problems facing us today? Citizens United. Mic drop. Okay. Uh, for myself, I would say learned helplessness. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I see this almost every single day. Mm-hmm. And it is infuriating. Yes, it is. Um, what is the best and worst technology you have ever used? Mm. Well, I've used a lot of really crappy technology. Um, I'm trying to think of things that infuriated me the most. Um, early PayPal, actually, was one of the worst. Because uh, their security was not good. And they made their interface impossible. You could not cancel your account effectively. They made it impossible to do. This was back in the aughts. It was a while ago. Uh, and then their security was so bad that they got hacked multiple times. And I did not share passwords very much between accounts. But I had shared, this was before I decided to start splitting my accounts out. And I had the same password for uh, PayPal and Netflix and Skype, I think is what. And so when they got compromised, someone logged into those other accounts and then tried to, first of all, they drained the $3 I had in my Skype account, which I told you was for emergency calls. And then they started trying to use my services. First of all, they were just watching random crap on Netflix. And then tried to use the Skype account for phishing for other people. And I contacted them angrily, like, what happened? This leak came from you, and they just wouldn't give me the time of day. Like, we well, need to log in first. We can talk with you. Like, I can't, I'm not going to log in. You've changed my password, and you've made the interface not work. I was so mad back when I stopped using them, and I was so mad with them when I was trying to recover from this password breach. Their experience, their customer experience was terrible. I know the, the question was more technology, but this is a technolo- technological service, a web service. And you have to support that with decent customer service. When your whole business model is to give people a product that you then don't support because it doesn't, it's not worth the money or maybe to infuriate people into buying something more, that needs to go away. So as far as the worst experience, that's probably near the top. Okay. Let me think about best once you go. If you can. Well, I mean, mine is the same. Oh, wow. Suspiciously specific. Yeah, so the best and the worst. I would say Linux. Oh, okay. Like, oh, I thought you meant like the same as my experience. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Yeah, I just, I, like, sometimes it's the best thing in the world, and other times mm-hmm. I just want to scream. Yeah. Well, okay, so for, the, for me, the best, um, my professional last 10 years has tended towards DevOps. I mean, I've always thought of myself as a Linux sysadmin professionally. For the best experience I have in tech is when I have built very nice pipeline to provision systems or services or whatever, and it's all automated. And all I have to do, or all someone has to do, is like edit a form, hit go, and they end up with a cluster provision to purpose somewhere over there. Everything is just taken care of automatically. How many things have to go into making this process work? I mean, I built most of it, so I know how hard it is, but just the sense of accomplishment that I get from having built this pipeline. And I can't do this kind of stuff and Windows effectively. PowerShell's gotten better. The scriptability of Windows has gotten better, but it's nowhere near what you can do with Linux or with containers. And I know you can do some of this on BSD too. I'm not familiar enough with it to go there. But 
I guess it would be a, the ability to automate Linux is the best experience I have. And there's nothing quite like it. Okay, the next question is, after getting an Apple machine, what computers are J is JT looking for next? Why not get a B-Box? That's a laden question. So, about the Apple. A friend of mine actually has one I can have when I can sync up with him and his friend that's storing it for him. Um, it's an old uh, Apple from, I think, the late 80s. 2E? No, maybe early 90s. No, it's it's around like the Performa generation line, okay. I think. Right? No, maybe not. It's a Motorola chip. Let me just put it that way. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that, that... Actually, I would like to get a... Uh, one of the uh, original colored Apple laptops. Like mm. after they came out with the colored iMacs and they made the clamshell mm -hmm. laptop. I actually would like to get one of those to take apart to then build something else into. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, so what other units is JT looking for? So uh, that's kind of it in a way. Um, I've been looking for a... No, you got a working B-Box, don't you? Well, I have... The B box that I have is not a complete retail box. It was a developer unit that was used by the Linux PPC project. Um, it actually has the sticker on there saying that the device has not been approved by the FCC. <laughs> it's, it's that early. Uh, and because it's that early, there's a limitation on what can run on it because the ROM chip has a certain size and I can't install the later ROMs because they won't fit. Uh, not and it a also doesn't. ROM chip? Huh? Is it just a ROM chip? Could you not get a larger one? It's soldered on board. Oh, so mind. B actually had a thing where for a while you could ship your board back and they would do the update. Obviously, I can't do that now. Well, why um, not? Yeah. And uh, I would. it also doesn't have the front faceplate. And it has like rework wires for like the power and LED and stuff like that. Uh, so I would like to get an actual proper B box, but they're rare as crap and whenever they do pop up they're super expensive mm -hmm. so yeah uh, other units I would like to get a pair of Sun E2900 servers wow but I'm probably not going to find those anytime soon because again they're, the people that have them think they're worth a billion dollars as far as like Intel and AMD systems I think I'm good at this point. I've gotten a bunch of stuff in recently. I got a, a care package from Bulgaria that had a bunch of old systems in it. So that sounds exciting. I talk think more about I'm that? good on. I think I'm good on that front. Um, let's see what else. I wouldn't mind another deck system. Another deck alpha would be nice. Uh, but again, also rare, hard to find. Oh, talk to Mad Dog. Uh, I, I have talked to Mad Dog, actually. Surely he's got uh, access or... He, he, doesn't. he doesn't. Oh. But you have talked to Mad Dog. I know. Yes. I heard you. But I'm saying apart from that, you had to have a relationship, so... But you've already asked, so... Yeah, I've already asked. That's unfortunate. Um, yeah, he, he's been out of the alpha world for so long, and, you know, he, he's moved on from that part of his life. Yeah, yeah, well, he moved on to other better things. Yeah. Okay, next question is, what has been the most satisfying or fulfilling contribution to open source? What's it? Um, I was president of the LUG at UTD Dallas, or UT Dallas, 
for a couple of years. And I built it back up from nothing. I think it was, by the time I came into it, there was like one person remaining from the previous incarnation, literally about to graduate that semester. If I hadn't gone talk to him, I would have been starting from scratch. Because I checked into it while he was still around, he was able to pass the mantle. And I built that organization back up again. We had, at one point, like 60 or 70 operating members. We had some really popular telethons. We had lots of educational stuff. We were putting out there, helping people with their Linux problems. We put a big Linux presence on YouTube. So I think a lot of these questions assume that I'm contributing code. But I've, I've discussed many times, it's more education. And that, I think, has been the most rewarding contribution I've made to the open source movement. I brought a lot of people into the open source fold in North Dallas. Not a lot, but, you know, a not insignificant moment. Right. So for me, huh, that's a challenging one. Um, so I don't know. It would be between one of two things. Uh, one would be working with and working on the Lumen desktop has been really rewarding um the second which i don't know if i would say i don't know they're they're kind of even maybe one would be more fulfilling than the other if i spent a lot of time thinking on it but the other other thing i can think of that would be up there would be doing and working on all the various open source podcasts that i've done um because that has given me the opportunity to to meet and reach out and get to know so many people in the industry mm -hmm. Uh, let's see. What creators do you guys follow? So this is kind of a big one. Ooh, yeah, that's a big one. And that could take us an entire episode just on that. Why don't we do that episode later? Would that be okay for the person who asked? Well, um, well I don't know. I'm, I'm not, not interactive. Able, but, I'm not able to ask them if that's right. okay. But I think you and I could just decide that that's what we're going to do. Yeah, so I think, I think we might actually end up doing that where we'll do a, a follow-up. Yeah, because um, I got a bunch. And you've got a bunch. Yeah, and... I think, I think actually they, well, I think it would be interesting if we didn't, we answered this except for tech. Oh, I got a lot of that. Yeah. So like all the other things in life, mm -hmm. not just like Linux people. Cause right. I don't know if that's really a fair one because we're, we're, we're so plugged we're, in. We're Linux people and we're already yeah. so plugged in. So I would like to interpret this as creators and, you know, content producers that do other things. Right. Okay, so we'll save that one for... Uh, we'll do an episode on that soon. For, yeah, another episode. I hope that's that. not disappointing the person who asked that question, but well, if you're, we getting answer. Is, you're getting a, a very large abundance of information soon. So if you can hold yourself over, you'll get more than you bargained for. Yeah. Um, let's see. What cars do you have? You already answered that one. You have yes, I have an F-150. Do you have anything else? Uh, no, not currently, but I do intend to get some kind of beater, like a, I don't know. I've decided something, something manual that I can kind of bang around on and, and work on. But before I can do that, I have to have the garage space. Okay. So, but I, I, I like the truck. I've been driving trucks for 20 years and I'm not likely to not have a truck, but it's also not going to be economical soon. So I need to start considering alternative alternatives. What I'd really like is something I could, I have no reason to have two or three vehicles, honestly. Who, who needs that really? As oh, I'm staring thanks, over here thanks, at JT. Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. But you know, if I live out, then I could see the justification for it. But I'd like to have like the beater you know, manual, and then do some kind of resto mod conversion into an electric car too. So, so Jeff is glaring at me and giving me the, the side eye because uh, I have more than one. You have more than four. Th this is true. <laughs> now here's here's the here's the thing here's the thing here's the thing. I have actually 
definitely cut down you have, how many I have. You have, yes. You've divested. So if I were to answer this question three years ago, well, let's say four. four Before you moved out here. Let's say four years ago. Four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the answer would have been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He's not done. Eight in a trailer. Well, okay. And you can't count the Corrados where you're taking multiple Corrados and building them down into one. No, because at, at one point, they were all individual units and <sighs> running. So okay. now fine. I have five. Five. So I have a 2011 GLK. I have a, I think it's a 2005 Explorer. I have a 95 Mazda, aka Ford Ranger with right. Mazda badges. I have an 89 Kawasaki Ninja and I have a 89 Volkswagen Corrado. And I'm considering, I mean, there's, there's some dependency issues for things I have to get right. done first. Mm-hmm. I'm considering taking the Mazda and the Explorer and making them one. He's going to Frankenstein this thing. Uh, because I've already done that. I think I've, I, maybe I've mentioned on shows or not on the BSD now. Uh, AMA. Uh, I the Corrado I have now is actually a mongrel of three different cars. So there's the the chassis that it is, the end the motor is from one car, and then the interior and a lot of the electronics and the suspension and the drivetrain is from another car. So I took three and made one. I might do the same with my Fords. I might take two Fords and make one because I like doing that kind of stuff. Yes, you do. And you better invite me for some of that because that sounds exciting. Not the hard bits. I'm gonna let you do that. Oh, oh, I I'm see. Not, I'm not is. involved in any like I exterior finishing because I don't. I don't find that pleasing. Oh, I don't do body work. Good. Somebody good, else good. does body work. They can bondo and paint to their heart's content. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to bother with that. I want to do like mechanical stuff. Okay. So the next question is, what is your favorite food? Mm, ooh. Um, nachos. Okay. But not every. It's just any kind of nachos. You have a good nacho cheese or queso. And you can't lay them down with other junk. It's got to be like purest nachos. So I'm a little bit, I'll, I'll eat most of the nachos, but I'll kind of judge them harshly. So yeah, that or cappuccino pie. One of those two. Okay. Interesting how you took that question. So I took that question as like what type of foods? Oh, um, well, nachos is a type. Well, no, but I mean like Italian, Mexican. Oh, that's that, I'm that's from North Dallas. Saying. It's got to be Tex-Mex. Yeah. I mean, um, it has to be. So if I was to say, what's my favorite food? type in general I would say probably Chinese if I was to pick just one food it would would be meat (laughs) (laughs) and that's the like that's period that's my drop period oh gosh Um, I took him to this meat restaurant in Dallas called Texas Day Brazil when he was here and it was just I call it meatapalooza jokingly it's one of those caroscuro or whatever those those type is where they just walk the meat around. Like they have a buffet for any food, side food you'd want, salads and all kind of stuff that goes along with meat. But the main main deal is that they have these guys wearing gacho pants walking around, holding out a meat. He says, "Would you like some of this?" And there's all different kinds of meat, and we just had we ate as much meat as we possibly could. It was amazing. Next time you're in Dallas, we'll do it again. Sounds like a plan. The uh, the last question we have here is uh, is from a typical colonel. And uh, he wants to know what our favorite 
sex position an act is. Oh. So here, this is real easy, man. Just go ask your mom. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. Well done. Okay, so on that point, I think we're going to wrap up the AMA. Uh, we will do the creator thing for another episode probably in a couple weeks. Um, but yeah, this was fun. Uh, if you're there are other things that you're curious about or things that we said that you're wondering, uh, send in an email, hit us up on Telegram or Matrix. Let me know, and I'll start making another list, and we'll do another one of these probably next year. Probably next year. So you've got some time, but uh, yeah, it was fun. I had fun, Jeff. Did you? I, I really enjoyed this. This is fun. Thanks for all the great questions. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, hope you enjoy that episode, and you'll enjoy the one we're coming up with next week. I have no clue what the topic's going to be. We're just going to wing it. No, but, I'm just uh, going to turn on the mics and see what happens. Yeah. It may just be squirrel scratching for all I know. Might be. Might yeah. be. 